Do you want victory? You can have it in Christ Jesus. Time once again for Abiding in Christ with Jim Wood. You have to step back, evaluate the various positions in light of Scripture, and then re-engage with a godly perspective. Pastor Wood is the founder and executive director of Weirs Valley Ranch, a Christian home and school for kids from crisis family situations. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. You can contact the program by calling 866-41-ABIDE or by visiting us on the web at wvr.org. And now, without further delay, here's your host, Jim Wood. My guest is Tony Renke. Tony has written uh, several books, and um, uh, he is the uh, senior teacher and host of the Ask Pastor John podcast for Desiring God, Pastor John being John Piper, whom many of you love and admire. And uh, Tony, we appreciate your work with his ministry, obviously. But you have a new book called God, Technology, and the Christian Life. Uh, what, what led you to uh, write a book about the theology of technology? Yeah, it's, it was a fun, it was a fun process. Uh, what I noticed for, as I read um, throughout church history, basically for the past century, the church's theologians have told us uh, that faith and technology don't belong in the same conversation. You know, human innovation is Babel-like, it's wicked, it's uh, worldly, it's at least tainted top to bottom by sin, and it's potentially destructive. So whenever you speak of human tech, leave God out of the conversation. And that's largely what Christians have done for the past century. And now we live inside the, the most technologically advanced age the world has ever seen. And many Christians work inside the tech, uh, uh, major tech centers. And now the church is not surprisingly mute, uh, at a to total loss for words about what to say. And so there's a growing desire to ask whether or not we got this right, uh, or maybe we lost something along the way. Um, should when we speak of technology, should we push God out of the conversation as basically um, ir irrelevant? And should we buy into sort of a godless dystopian vision of the world that uh, that drives the dystopian television shows and movies and novels that we see today? God is gone; He's left us to ourselves. And uh, if if big tech must be put down, it falls to us. But for me, and for a growing number of Christians, we're asking if there's another way to go about this because. Uh, perhaps we just sold God short and perhaps we lost sight of his incredible generosity to us today and presume upon his gifts and take them for granted when we should be living with the gratitude for you know, the 10,000 innovations we use every single day and the layers of technological advances that we're using right now to, to talk, to record this conversation and for listeners to hear us. Um, so I'm utterly amazed that, that I get to live in 2022 and not 1922 or 1822 or 1722 or any other century in the past. I feel like I am, uh, I'm spoiled rotten and, uh, I'm trying to figure out like, what is God's role in the blessings that I use every single day? And, uh, is there a way to go forward through scripture to get a vision of him and his generosity? Well, amen. I'm glad that you recognize the sovereignty of God and the fact that even what the enemy intends for evil, God turns for the good of those who love yeah. him, yep. who are the called according to his purpose. Um, but I, I certainly do, on the one hand, understand why some people are highly skeptical mm -hmm. about uh, sinful man's ability to use technology in ways that are beneficial uh, outweighing, 
uh, sinful man's capacity to use technology yep. to simply amplify evil. Um, there were a lot of early uh, uh, adopters of broadcast technology and that kind of thing in the Christian community. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, certainly NRB and other groups, uh, the network that I'm broadcasting on right now, Salem, various folks have been eager to harness technology yeah. for the spread of the gospel and the good of people everywhere. Um, and that's been true with medical advances where, you know, Christian hospitals have been eager to uh, embrace uh, technology that was going to enhance their ability to serve mankind and thereby serve the Lord. But you're exactly right. I think as technological advances have uh, multiplied and the landscape has changed radically um, and, and at what seems to be an ever-increasing rate of speed, uh, a lot of folks not just believers, but as you pointed out, a lot of people who don't know the Lord um, are embracing kind of a dystopian view mm -hmm. of where this uh, rush uh, to for technological advancement is taking us. And one of the biggest things that frightened people in that regard was the advent of the atomic age, as it was called, yep. uh, when they saw the massive destruction that comes from nuclear weapons, uh, a lot of people felt like, okay, we cannot rely upon people to uh, manage such power effectively. And yet you point to the God who is more powerful than, <laughs> than uh, the atom. Yeah. Well, he's the God who invented atomic power. Mm-hmm. So that's how our sun works. That's how every sun in the in all the galaxies. That's yeah. you know, we're talking about nuclear fusion. We use nuclear fission. I think I'm using nuclear fission right now um, uh, in Phoenix. Uh, I think uh, I think all of my power is atomic. I haven't confirmed that, but 40% of the city's uh, power is atomic. So I think everything that I'm using right now is is powered by uh, the splitting of atoms. Someday we'll figure out how to combine atoms, uh, fusion, and that's going to give us more power with less waste. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's going to take a long time for us to figure out how to harness that because it's way more power. And it requires helium-3, which is uh, something we don't have a lot of uh, on the Earth, but there's a lot on the moon. So perhaps someday yeah. we'll have robots on the moon excavating helium-3 uh, so that we can use the nuclear power that God uses in the sun. <laughs> when he said, let there be light, he was saying, let there be nuclear fusion. And uh, perhaps we'll figure out how to harness that. So that's the kind of God-centered vision I'm trying to bring back. Um, and I think you're exactly right with the, the atomic bomb. And I think I would push it even a little bit earlier into World War I. I think when we get into World War I and World War II and the Cold War, that, that, that's why I, I say for the past century, mm -hmm. uh, because it's basically 1913, is when uh, the talk in the Church of Common Grace and how God has given us you know, economics and uh, innovativeness and science and all of these things, uh, that language really falls away in about 1913 with the advent of the First World War. And out of that come, you know, guys who fought and who, who were injured, like C.S. Lewis, who uh, fought and was injured in World War I and uh, came to see the tremendous power that we had to destroy humans. And uh, from that point on, really made made that the major tenor of his ministry. You know, that hideous strength is a great novel against uh, transhumanism. is an amazing uh, work that goes right after the heart of what we call transhumanism today. This idea that we're gonna 
engineer our, our way out of death. Right. And Lewis saw that as an anti-gospel in, you know, 1943. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the challenge was he, he was not really good at celebrating common grace and celebrating God's goodness and technology. And that just kind of became the norm, uh, especially after world war one. So yeah, definitely. Um, now, I mean, it, it's, it's as if if we, if we had not invented the atomic bomb, there would not be dangers at that scale. I mean, I think that's sort of the assumption that a lot of Christians have when we just saw uh, a volcano uh, in Tonga, I think, that mm-hmm. registered 500 times the power of the bomb we dropped on Hiroshima. Yes. 500 times. So I think a lot of Christians have this idea in their mind, like, had we not invented the atomic bomb, some massive killing power would not be in creation. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, a lot of uh, a lot of this idea of this this godlessness of of this world of technology is the sense that uh, Paul Virilio has a famous quote where he says, you know, when you invent the ship, you invent the shipwreck, and when you invent electricity, you invent the electrocution, and when you invent the plane, you invent the plane the plane crash, which yeah. is true. But you can go back to Ecclesiastes and see, you know, if you quarry rocks, stones, those can fall on you and, and crush you. Yes. So those paradoxes have always been in creation. And we look at the, the massive scale of volcanoes, of asteroids, of drowning by catastrophic flood, the flood, Noah's flood. I mean, mm-hmm. there are, uh, this world is not safe right? I mean, from the beginning. And so the idea that somehow we've made it super unsafe, I think is again, a vision of creation that's just distorted. I think you said that very well. I think you said that very well. Now, you talk about uh, a gospel of technology yeah. in your book. What are you talking about? I'm talking about the the world's attempt to manufacture their own hope mm-hmm. and use technology to do that. And I think this, again, is one of those turnoffs for Christians where they see, um, you know, there's basically a unifying principle in technology, and that is um, I need to augment my powers. I need to become a superhuman. I need to compu- you know, connect my brain to a computer. I need to have more security that I'm in control of. I need to engineer my way out of death. I need to engineer my way out of um, any vulnerabilities I have economically or in this world around me. I need to be self-secure. I need to, I need to make sure that I am secure in every way. And that's the gospel of technology. And, and that's, that drives a lot of what we see uh, coming out of Silicon Valley is these promises of self-security. And I yeah. think for a lot of Christians, that's, that's one of the turnoffs where they say, well, I don't see God in Elon Musk's life. Therefore, uh, technology must have nothing to do with God. And again, it's, it's going to several texts and sort of explaining that there's a different way of thinking about this. Uh, when you look at, for example, Genesis 4 and Cain's lineage, and how God preserves Cain of all people. Cain, this wicked murderer, mm-hmm. God protects him because he's going to have three great-great-grandchildren who are going to invent three new massive big-scale industries that we still use today. And so there's this, um, there's this worldview that we need to recapture of God's sovereignty working in and through Elon Musk, not apart from and without him. And that, I think, for Christians is really hard to grasp until you walk through uh, the very serious and important biblical texts that we see laid out from Genesis to Revelation. Yeah. I, when I was a kid, I was very impressed with uh, the uh, quote from the book of Numbers that uh, comprised the first official uh, Morse code message huh. um, transmitted in the U.S. 
back in 1844. Yeah. And that was the quote from Numbers, what hath God wrought? Yeah. A recognition yep. on the part of those who were the first to use a vital new technology that was going to have an enormous impact. Yep. But they didn't try and push God out of this. It wasn't what his man accomplished. Yeah. But there was a recognition, godly recognition, that the achievements, the technological achievements of man, ultimately, God is at work. Mm -hmm. And we should be rejoicing and giving him praise. Yeah, that's good. There's some debate on what exactly that phrase meant. Um, some of it's like, what are we, what are we in for? What are we doing? <laughs> there might be a sense of that too. Well, I'm glad they at least knew the Bible. <laughs> that's true. That's very true. Electronic communications began that moment, sending electronic messages at great distances at great speeds. We take that for granted now, but right. that is amazing back in the day when that happened. And we learned how to harness lightning to send messages. Mm -hmm. That's what Spurgeon said from the pulpit. We've learned to send our messages through the lightning, which yep. is a great biblical theology because uh, that's what electricity is. I mean, we didn't invent yes. electricity. We discovered it in the lightning bolt, which was there from creation. Exactly. Do you believe there are any limits to what can be created and accomplished by technology? I think there are limits set in place by the creator. I think there are, I, I think if you, if you ask a startup in Silicon Valley, how easy is it to do whatever you want? <laughs> They're going to say it's very hard to do whatever you want. Ask yeah. somebody who owns a patent, how easy is it to make money off of your patent? It's very, very hard. Very few people make money off of their patent. This world is highly constrained and contained within guide rails of what God has allowed us to make. That doesn't mean everything we can do is, is, is he's put his sanction on it, said, go for it. But we have very few things that we can do in creation. If it seems to us like it's infinite, it seems like we have no limits, but God has intended and, and put in place a creation that is highly limited and highly constrained. And part of the, the theme of the book is basically me laying out nine limiters that God puts uh, over his creation to make sure that it's all governed either directly or indirectly by his will and how he designed things. So when I look at creation, I see a highly constrained, um, it's, a, it's a sandbox for our creativity and we can do a lot in it, but it's highly constrained in what we can do. Well, and I, I think that's, that's important for folks to understand. Uh, as, and again, we're speaking here primarily to believers. There are non-believers who sometimes listen to this broadcast. And if, if you are not somebody who's trusting in Jesus and you're hearing this right now, keep listening, please. But the fact is, most of our listeners are people who know the Lord or want to know the Lord or seeking him. And I think it's important for us to understand whatever comes is not going to derail God's plan. God is at work, and he is sovereign, and he has all power, and he has a plan. Yes. And he's going to work out his plan, even through the actions of men. If you look at the hideous evil of people nailing Jesus mm the only sinless person who ever lived, nailing him to the cross and killing him in such a, a brutal way when he didn't deserve to die at all. We look at that and we say, you know, God allowed wicked people to do such a horrible thing. God not only allowed it, mm. God used it to bring salvation 
to all who would trust in Jesus. And so when bad things happen in our world today, when people use technology in ways that are harmful and sinful, it shouldn't put us into panic. It should cause us to recognize again our utter dependence on God and his grace, because apart from him, there is no salvation. Technology cannot save us, and technology cannot damn us. It cannot destroy us. We are in God's hand, and we are secure. If you are in Christ, you are secure in God's hand forever. Really well said. Um, you say in the book that a total tech disengagement is coming. What do you mean yep. by that? Yeah, that's when I get into eschatology. That, 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 this is the final limiter, the number nine limiter, uh, the nine of nine. And that is, there comes a point in time in which God is going to call us out of our cities. Uh, there's a time when God is going to call us away from our technologies. And that's essentially the same thing. One of the, the fruit of, of working on this book is I came to realize when, when I laid out a biblical theology of technology, as I called it, looking mm -hmm. at Genesis Revelation, what I realized it was nothing less than a biblical theology of cities. And so that's a complex theme in the Bible that you have to, to walk through because, you know, God's earliest uh, faithful men are not going to live in the city. They're going to live in tents. Mm -hmm. uh, but eventually, God's people do live in cities uh, to the extent that we see that the church is in cities, leavening cities with our hope, with our worship. We have a leavening presence within our cities, mine being Phoenix. God is going to relent his wrath from Phoenix, Arizona, because there are at least 50 godly Christians in, in Phoenix. And there's going to come a time in which that relenting is going to be up. And God is going to call his people out of the city, out of Phoenix uh, for a time of judgment. And that's a time when we will leave our technologies behind. Mm -hmm. We will get up and walk away. I mean, if you believe in the, uh, the rapture, that would fit in here. But at some point, there's a tech disengagement coming. We see this in Revelation 18 with Babylon, sort of mm -hmm. the apex city, the city of all cities, the greatest, grandest, most powerful, most technologically advanced city in the world. Her judgment is coming, and her judgment is matched to the industrial strength of her industry. Mm -hmm. And so that's coming. But before that happens, God calls his people out of Babylon. The angels come and speak, uh, come forth, leave the technologies, leave the comforts, leave the city and walk out because God has his own city that's going to replace it. And so yeah. there is, I think that's really helpful for us to understand what our tools are for. We don't put our hope in them. They're not our permanent safety, just like our cities are not. Our cities are a great gift. I mean, there's tremendous blessings from living inside of a city. Uh, but one day God is going to call his children out of the cities of man because he has a, a greater city that he designed and built that's going to replace it. So I look forward to that day. Uh, but having that in mind of knowing a little bit about the eschatology of what's going to happen in the end is really crucial if we're going to get our understanding of technology right. Um, we have every reason to rejoice in what God has provided and use it for his honor and glory. But we need to also be honest with ourselves and honest with each other if we find that a particular technological advance is becoming a pitfall for us. We've got to be able yep. to do, as you described, people are going to do massively someday, and mm -hmm. that is God's people are going to walk out of the city. Yep. 
That's exactly right. It's it, part of the thing I'm trying to, to help people understand as they pick up this new book, God, Technology in the Christian Life, is that this is the third book on tech and media that I've written. The first one coming out of a 2015 year where I was largely off social media for my own heart. I saw my own sin on social media. I saw I was being stupid with my time, foolish with my heart. I was not serving my family well, not serving my employer well, not serving my local church well. And so I needed a year to sort of uh, reevaluate uh, my my own spiritual habits and uh, and to see where my sin was at. And uh, mm-hmm. that was helpful. That was game change, uh, game changer for me. That became the 2017 book, uh, 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. And so I had to do that deep heart work. And what I found now, seven years since I took that year and really evaluate, evaluated my own uh, social media habits, is that once I sort of identified evil and the evil being in my heart and not sort of externalizing it, like, you know, the algorithm made me do it or Facebook <laughs> made me do it or Twitter made me do it. I mean, that's sort of the mantra that you hear of, of do- yeah. documentaries against technology today. It's like, oh, oh, let's comfort you by saying, well, it's the algorithm that made you do it. It's, mm-hmm. it's Mark Zuckerberg who made you do it. And that's garbage. Christians know it's the sin inside of me that, yes, it gets provoked by social media. It gets provoked by the porn that's so easily available. It gets provoked. Those desires get provoked, but those desires are the problem. Amen. And I've got to deal with that. And what I found now, seven years later, is once I was willing to, to do that hard work, I now could look up and see all the technology in my life, the car, the house, the computers, the TVs, the smartphone, the iPad, tens of thousands of innovations in every direction, and 2 million more I could buy on Amazon and 150,000 that are on stocks right now at the Walmart down the street. All of that God has given as a generous gift to me that I can steward if I'm clear on what my purpose is. And so now coming out of that 2015 experience and not externalizing the sin, but seeing it within me, it gives me a new vision for, okay, I've got a computer in order to steward for God's glory. And now I have a vision for it that helps reinforce the ethics of the technologies. And so I think a lot of times, even in our parenting, we sort of get hung up on the don't use that app. No, you can't have a smartphone. No, you can't have an iPad. And it's good to have limitations. Oh my goodness, we need limitations. But if that's where it ends, sort of don't do that, stop doing that. Let me never catch you doing that again. If that's where our ethics stops and we, we don't have a vision for, for what we are here to do, and that is to glorify God and to enjoy him and to love our neighbors ourselves. If we don't have that vision, we won't understand the stewardship aspect of all the technologies that he's given to us. And that's what, that's what came to mind when you were talking, because you're talking about that stewardship. And so it works in tandem, that sort of being honest with yourself and your own sins, and then seeing the stewardship of the iPhone and, and why God gave me this. He gave me this as a gift to honor him. Amen. That would only be true if I took account for my own sinful use of it mm-hmm. and then saw my purpose and saw now this gift is a stewardship, a temporary one, like you said, but it's a stewardship. And that's really changed my parenting and thinking Praise of God. technology as, okay, you know, 16-year-old daughter, we're going to give you a smartphone, but here's why we're giving it to you. You are called to glorify God with your life and to love others. And you can do both of those things on it. And you can do the exact opposite on it. Mm-hmm. So let's talk through, you know, it, it, as the struggles come up, but now there's a strategic vision for the technology that then frames the stewardship of it. And for me now, and I think, I don't think I could have gotten here without having written that, that hard book, 12 ways your phone is changing you and getting into my own heart and, mm-hmm. and not being uh, satisfied with just externalizing the evil. Amen. Excellent. Again, Tony Ranke, the book is God, Technology, and the Christian Life. 
And Tony, I appreciate so much your taking time to be with us on this broadcast. My honor, Jim. Thanks for having me. God bless you. Many of our listeners already give financially to support the children at Wares Valley Ranch, and I want to say thank you. I'm so grateful. Now, if you've never supported us, or if you'd like to do so on a consistent basis, I want to ask that you consider becoming a monthly donor. With a gift of as little as $5 per month, you'll become what we call a ranch hand. Ranch hands have committed to giving monthly to help with things like food, utility bills for ranch homes, and gas for the ranch minivans. If you believe the Lord would have you help in this way, you can become a ranch hand by signing up at wvr.org. Just look for the donate button. You've been listening to Abiding in Christ. If you have questions that you'd like for us to tackle on the program or comments that you want to make, I want to invite our listeners to call 866-41-ABIDE. That's our toll-free number, 866-41-ABIDE or contact us on the web at wvr.org.